Welcome to Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia. This podcast is a collection of messages designed to help you grow in our three anchors of real devotional life, real community, and real responsibility. We hope that you enjoy this message and that it encourages you in your spiritual growth. You have often heard an exegesis of a text. I'd like to start this evening by exegeting a human body. How do you react when you're hurled to the ground so that stones and boulders can be thrown at your defenseless head? You lift your arms to protect yourself and your hands get mangled in the process. It becomes almost impossible to hold a quill anymore, so someone else has to handle your correspondence. Unless you scribble at the end of the letter your signature in large letters. Besides, you can hardly see anymore. You have spent too many days and nights shipwrecked, struggling to stay afloat on stormy seas with salt water lashing your eyes as you strive to see some sliver of land or a passing boat, anything to give hope to those who swim and sink around you. Your back is bowed and scarred by so many lacerating beatings. You can't sit for any length of time without pain. Sitting's not the worst of your discomforts when you're locked in a dark and damp prison cell. You may not have a desk and a chair, You may not have balm for your back, glasses for your eyes, or aspirin for your crippled hands. But at least for now, you're soon going to lose that. You have your head. And far more importantly, you have your hope. And in a voice now hoarse from preaching the gospel over time and space, You rasp, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with boldness, now as always, so now Christ will be magnified in my body whether by life or death. For, to me, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far, far better. It's 30 years since Jesus has died. We find this man in a Philippian jail, mostly blind, useless hands, mangled back, a broken down body, because his life has been given for the gospel. And we find this man, who'd received beatings above measure, been in prisons frequently, deaths often, Five times lashed with 39 stripes, three times pulverized with rods. Once he was stoned, shipwrecked three times, a night and the day floundering in the deep, 
journeys often, perils of waters, perils of robbers, perils from his own people, perils from the Gentiles, perils in the city, perils from wild beasts, perils in the sea, perils amongst false brethren, weary, toiling, sleepless, hungry, thirsty, fasting, cold, and naked. And at the end of all of that, from a prison cell in Philippi, he writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Who is this man that traveled the known world and planted churches in multiple cities and saw hundreds and thousands of people hear the word of God and come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? His name was Paul. We have found our Paul, but who found him? Francis Xavier was a magnificent man. Frank Borham tells his, his biography in the book, A Bunch of Everlastings. Let me just summarize it. If I fast forward to when he's 35 years old, he goes to the Far East. And he is gripped with the sense that billions of people don't know anything about Jesus. And so he dedicates his life and his time to tell them. Over the course of the next 10 years, he will be persecuted. He will suffer. He will travel. He will fast. He will talk to children. He will talk to rulers. He will ring a bell with one hand and hold up the cross with another so that all can come and hear him preach the gospel. He will work with lepers. He will work with pirates. He'll walk in between warring armies, risking his life, witnessing to both. He will advance towards an erupting volcano, warning those in the midst of that fiery flame and ash to flee from the wrath to come. He will make converts and he will plant churches. He will work 21 hours out of every 24. He will learn to preach in 20 different languages within 10 years. He will cross deserts. He will climb mountains. He will become paralyzed with fatigue, collapse, rest an hour, only to rise and walk on, looking for the next person who has not heard the gospel. And then, after 10 years, absolutely worn out with gospel proclamation, he collapses on a beach in Siam, in Thailand, unnursed, untended, all alone, He resigned his soul to God, lived as he died with a smile on his face. And on December the 3rd, 1552, he entered into glory. Of him, the world was not worthy. But who found Xavier? If we go back 10 years, it was Spain. It was the height of Fernandan and Isabella. Spain was the mighty power of the world. And Xavier was a Renaissance man. He was the best at running. He was the best at fencing. He was handsome. He was witty. He was a ladies' man. Everybody loved him. Everything he touched turned to gold. He was good at everything. He had a thirst for knowledge. So he went to Paris, France, became a lecturer. And he was the darling of the university. 
Everybody wanted to go to his classes. He was smart, strong, wise, brave, entertaining, articulate, convincing. Everybody was impressed, the Savior. But he was a pagan. He lived completely for himself. Into his classroom comes an old man of 50. He looks even older than that. He is bent and broken. This 50-year-old man, listening to this lecture of 35 years, is lame. But despite his age and the the broken-down state of his body, there's a fire in this 50-year-old man's eyes. His name was Ignatius Loyola. And he listens to Xavier preach. And then takes him aside and simply asks him one question. What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And Xavier would go on giving these lectures and going to the big parties. And Loyola would follow him around. And at the end of every lecture, every dance or every revelry, he would just kind of sidle up to him, a 50-year-old cripple. And whisper in his ear, great lecture, but what does it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? They'd go for walks on the Seine. They'd walk through the forest that now become suburbs of Paris. And over and over again, he would just whisper to this genius, this charismatic genius, what does it profit a man if he gain the whole world? And lose his own soul. And after months of this, Xavier falls on his knees in front of his student, gives his heart to Jesus, renounces all fame and fortune, and heads out to Asia to win the world for Jesus. God so loved the world, he sent his only son. But we are small. And how do we, in our smallness, Love what is grand and beyond us. There are almost 8 billion people in the world today. 3.15 billion without access to the gospel. They don't have a Christian friend. They don't have a Bible in their hands. They don't understand what Jesus has done for them on the cross. And they are gathered, as you have heard, in 7,000 unreached people groups around this world. How do we, in our smallness, how do you, a first year, second year, maybe fourth year student at UVA, how do you possibly make a difference like Paul or like Xavier? Can you work 21 hours of a day? Can you learn 20 languages in 10 years? We are small. How do we reach 8 billion? How do we reach 7,000 unreached people groups? How do we take the gospel to 42% of the world. Do you know if we would fill a stadium tonight that could fit 100,000 people, and we had great worship and great preaching and gave an altar call, and at the end of that event, 20,000 people came to know Jesus. And if we would do that again tomorrow and the next day and the next day after that, and every day of every week of every month for every year, Do you know how long just mathematically it would take us to reach the world? 1,200 years. And that's only if birth rates 
don't increase. 20,000 people a day would take us 1,200 years. With the scope of lostness, with the urgency of the task, with the size of the global population, with 7,000, 3 billion in unreached people groups, how do we possibly reach the world? What if we found our Paul? Ananias? Yes, Lord. Go to Straight Street. Find a man named Paul. Paul, Lord? The one breathing murderous threats? The one hunting us in our homes? The one throwing us into prison? The one wrenching us from our families? The one destroying the church? Yes, that very one. Risk it all to find Paul. Disciple him. Lead him to the fullness of the Holy Spirit. For I have chosen him to stand before Gentiles and kings. He will take the gospel to the nations and the world. And I'll show him how much he must suffer for my sake. Ananias. First year, second year, third year, fourth year student at UVA. Here's how I want you to change the world. Here's how I want you to impact 8 billion people, 7,000 unreached people groups. I want you to find your Paul. Let me paraphrase Borham one more time. If you're a student of history, you will recognize the name Hugh Latimer. Hugh Latimer was called by a peasant the honestest man in England. He was one of the bravest. He was born into a family of farmers. He studied Latin at age four. He attended Cambridge, was elected a fellow of Clare's College, and in 1522 was ordained a priest. He was a Catholic at the time. The Reformation was raging, and he called himself the most obstinate papist in England. In other words, he was anti the Reformation, but he was charismatic, and he was beloved in England, and he would preach in the people's tongue. He used their vernacular, and the common people would come out and touch his robes as he sailed off to Parliament to attack those in power because he was against injustice, and he would rail and preach in an eloquent vernacular about good things for the common people, and so they loved him. One time he was marching to Parliament, Westminster to speak, and the crowds began to cheer for him, and they said, have at them, Father Latimer, because he used his gift and he used his intellect to help the poor. He didn't know Jesus, though. In a moment, I'll tell you how he came to know Jesus, and after he did, he began to preach the gospel with great fervor. He stood up to Henry VIII, and after Henry VIII, he stood up to Mary. He was consigned to the Tower of London and then condemned to be birthed at the stake in 1555. As Latimer was led to the stake with his friend, Nicholas Ridley, who was the Lord Mayor of London, he said these famous words. Play the man, Master Ridley. We shall this day... Light such a candle by God's grace in England as I trust shall never be put out. Play the man, Master Ridley. We're going to light a candle that shall never be put out. 1555. And they were burnt at the stake together. Latimer, like Paul, like Xavier, played the man. 
And there's a light that burns from Latimer's death that hasn't been put out. If you follow chronologically the spiritual tree of Latimer, here's what you find. John, give me Scotland or I die Knox in 1560. John Bunyan and the Pilgrim's Progress, 1678. Amazing Grace, John Newton, 1748. George Whitfield preaching till 1770. The Wesley brothers glowing until 1788, 1791. William Carey going to India in 1793. William Wilberforce and friends abolishing slavery in 1807. David Livingston to Africa in 1840. Charles Spurgeon preaching 1850. Hudson Taylor entering China in 1854. All of these men and women like them burned for Jesus to the uttermost parts of the earth and their spiritual ascendancy is all traced back to that first lion of the Reformation in England, Hugh Latimer, who stood up for Jesus played the man, and was burnt at the stake. But who found Latimer? There was a little unknown man, unremembered today, named Thomas Bilney. He was such a little guy that they called him Little Bilney. And Little Bilney was a student of Latimer's before Latimer came to Jesus. And this is his prayer. He said, Oh God, I am just little Bilney. I'll never do anything great for you. But give me the soul of that one man, Hugh Latimer, and what wonders he shall do in thy name. He began to pray that prayer. He began to go to these lectures. Remember, at this time, Tyndale's Bible was banned in England. You couldn't even buy a Bible. And so one day, Latimer's descending from the dais. His robe brushes by little Bilney. Little Bilney sees his chance. He says, oh, Father, I have something to confess. And so Latimer pompously takes him into the study. And there, little Bilney says, I have to confess this. I bought a Bible. And I've begun reading that Bible, and it's begun to minister to my soul, and Jesus has become real to me, and all of these other cisterns of the dried-up church are not satisfying me, but in Jesus I found life, in Jesus I found forgiveness of sins, in Jesus I found hope. And little Bilney leads Latimer to the Lord. Little Bilney found his Paul. And the world has never been the same. Sixteen years later, Bilney followed Latimer to the stake, also was burned alive. And the last words on his lips were, Jesus, I believe. How do we reach eight billion people? How do you, in 2022, a student at UVA, how do you change the history of the world? I'd like to propose to you tonight that all you have to do is find your Paul. You might not be the hero of the story. I might not be the hero in the narrative. But maybe we're little Bilney. Maybe our role is to sail forth to a difficult region, place, and people of the world and spend our life using our talents, the education God has granted us, our personality, to find our Paul. And that Paul changes the world. If you have your Bibles tonight, I want to ask you to take it, open it to Romans chapter 10. 
Would you please stand to your feet as you're finding Romans chapter 10 in the Bible? You can turn there on your phone. If you don't have access to a Bible, we have some at the back and our staff can bring a Bible to you. Just indicate that if you'd like it. You can look next to your friend if there's someone next to you with the Bible. But open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10 was written by Paul, this world changer. But somebody found him. And in a moment, my wife is going to come and tell you the story of how she found her Paul and how her Paul is seeing unbelievable things for Jesus. And the reason that I have set up the reading at length tonight is I want to hopefully build in you the expectation that you could change the world if you just found your Paul. And I want you to listen to Paul as he writes about the gospel. Then I want you to listen to this testimony that my wife will share. And I want you to try and connect the dots to what happens here in Romans chapter 10 and in the story that you're about to listen to. Does that make sense? So I'm going to read through verse 17. You can follow along with me in your version. Pay close attention to the text. And then when you hear this story, how many elements of what we're about to read can you identify in the story you're about to hear? Is that clear? All right, let's read the Word of God together. Romans chapter 10, verse 1. I'll just read it in the New King James. Your version might be a little different. That's fine. Just follow along with me. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law, the man who does those things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all, is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. 
But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. May the Lord bless his word to our ears. You may sit down. I'm going to ask our tech team to put a PowerPoint on behind me. And we're going to look and show you an example of what's called a church planting movement. We define a church planting movement as four independent spiritual streams that go down at least four generations. So, for example, a missionary would go to a land and lead this man to the Lord. This is the first generation, and then he leads this lady to the Lord, and then she leads this lady to the Lord, all right? So that's generation one, generation two, generation three, generation four. And then do that again with this lady who leads that lady, who leads that lady, who leads that man, four generations in the second stream, and the third stream, and the fourth stream, and together that's going to total a thousand people. That's what we call a church planting movement. It's based on multiplication because of this challenge of 8 billion people. How do you reach 8 billion people in the world, right? We can't do it by addition. We can't have 20,000 a night for 1,200 years. We have to multiply this thing. We've got to find the catalyst who can start it all. So if you go to the next slide, you'll see that's the picture of it. We're going for this amongst unreached people groups. In order to get that and do that multiple times, next slide, you're going to have to at least find your Paul. So I'm just going to close it and then ask Pete to come and lead us in a time of prayer. And it's a very simple point. Our, our message in the testimony is 8 billion people, 7,000 unreached people groups that are 3.15 billion together can be overwhelming. But is there a man, a woman here who says, I'll just go find my Paul. I'll go learn language, and culture, and embed in a context. I don't have to be the hero but I can just be faithful. I can be little Bilney. You might be thinking that today. You might be thinking, I'm just little Bilney. But Jesus, give me the soul of one man or one woman and let them change the world. That's our greatest need in missions today. And I want to invite you in the same invitation that Francis Xavier said to those when he was mobilizing. He said, Give up your small ambitions and come with us and change the world. All you have to do is find your Paul. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes as Pete comes? We have the worship team come forward. Let's just take a moment. And ask God to give us a vision in our own hearts for how he would want to use us. Lord, I'm struck tonight by the power of simple obedience. Obedience of a one person reaching out to one person. Obedience of a famous academic 
taking the gospel to a place that's never heard it. Obedience of one woman following up with one woman. Over text, doing the best they could. And you take those loaves and fish and just feed the multitude. Lord, I ask that you'd grant us the grace of simple obedience to whatever you're asking us to do. God, give us that grace of simple obedience. are the king and you are worthy I'm going to ask that we just do something simple and stand and there's a song that basically talks about how we want to be obedient. Am I right? So Paul, will you and team lead us in that song? Lord, we ask that you would give us the grace of simple obedience to do what the Apostle Paul wrote and that is to walk in the good works that you have prepared in advance for us to do. Lord, may you lead us to our Paul. And may you be glorified. Lord, we're content just being a footnote in your grand story of your kingdom among all nations for your glory. So Lord, even as we look at spring break, I pray that you would Give us the grace to be obedient to whatever you'd have us do. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Will you give a hand to Dick and Jen? Thank you for coming. So good. You can look up Dick's books on Amazon. There's lots of them. He's written many, many books. You could look up if you want to read uh, some of his works. Uh, also, tomorrow, they're going to do a seminar at 5 p.m. at the Who Room of, at the Hub on what is my role in God's global mission. And so if you want to get more practical, they have a lot to share about that. And if you would like some time with them tomorrow, they're going to be at the Hub between 1 and 3. They're available, and so you could get a hold of Buddy and say, hey, I'd like some time with them, and he'll set you up with that. And so we're blessed to have them w- with us. Man, we... We're kind of spoiled having them two years in a row, so thank you for putting us on your very busy agenda. Churches wait years to bring him in, so and Jen, so uh, we're, we're blessed. So anyways, for the benediction tonight, may God bless you and keep you. 
May he make his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you and turn his countenance towards you. And may he give you peace in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's have a great week following Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia podcast. For more information, you can visit our website, xaatuva.com. 